Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The English writer and presenter Ollie Mann's still only in his 30s, but he's already a seasoned veteran of the UK podcasting scene. Way back in podcasting's ancient history, as far back as 2007, he started making Answer Me This with his uni mate Helen Zaltzman. You might have heard Helen being interviewed by Kim Hill recently about her popular podcast The Illusionist. Since then, Answer Me This has racked up 360-odd episodes, answering its listeners' sometimes fairly offbeat questions in a light and humorous style. A few years back, Ollie Mann launched his own podcast called The Modern Man. Two ends in man, like his surname, it's a magazine-style show with a longer interview bookended by chats with regular contributors about sex and the latest trends. His previous interview subjects include a rogue trader, a butler to the world's super-rich, hackers and gambling addicts. This is all about being lost at sea. When was the last time you took a holiday with your friends? As you get older, it gets harder, doesn't it? I've a couple of mates from school that I only see around Christmas, and basically we have to diarise that a year in advance. Uh, Well, South African Brett Archibald was a high-flying global executive... Living in London, though, meant he didn't often get to see his school friends. So once a year, he and his mates would fly in from wherever they'd ended up working in the world, New York, Hong Kong, Cape Town, and they'd meet up in some exotic location for a boys' trip, usually involving boats, because growing up in Durban, they'd all been surfers in their youth. They wanted to relive their teenage years. And in 2013, Brett and his friends turned 50. So for the big 5-0, they decided to head to the Mentawi Islands in Indonesia, hire a boat and surf the wildest waves in the world. But first, they had to get there. We all flew into a place, into the, the capital of Indonesia called Jakarta, got stuffed into a little roadside pub, 42 degrees heat, Indonesia, Eventually got on the boat. They took us to the boat at about 4 p.m., unpacked all our gear, waiting to set sail, and we set sail. And it was as we went down the river into the ocean, the storm came. Five other boats had headed out that that, uh, evening. Four of them went back. They were all skippered by international skippers. They realized the storm was going to be too severe, and our boat just kept going because the skipper spoke no English. It was pigged in English, broken English, he called us all Mr. Brett, Mr. Mark, Mr. John, and that was his his summation of English. You know, he knew the word Mr. and he worked out <laughs> your name, and that was it. We didn't get a safety briefing. I actually did my own little circuit to find out where the life jackets were. They were locked in a cupboard in the front of the boat, in the front part of the bow, locked in a cupboard. And I should have, I mean, I should have insisted on a whole lot of things. We all should have, but we didn't, you know. We were so relaxed with it, we'd... Of the 10 crossings we had done, five trips I'd done, we we um, had seen some really rough seas, and we'd also had it like sailing on, on Hyde, Hyde Park Lake, you know, just whew, calm as flat as a, as, a, as, a, as a duck pond, 
But this one wasn't one of those. One of the worst storms in 35 years in that part of the world, and it just came out of nowhere. Just a proper tropical thunderstorm. What did that feel like when you were on the boat? Horrific. Horrific. We had a really good time sitting on the deck while we sailed down the river into the ocean. We ended up having takeout pizza. Don't eat takeout pizza in Indonesia ever. You have nasi goreng or noodles, but not takeout pizza. These pizzas, I'll never forget it. I still can see those pizzas. I can still smell them. They were calzoni. When they cut them open, the smell. And I remember saying to my mates, this is water buffalo and has been out in the sun for many days. But anyway, we were so hungry. My well, mate you were, next you were to on me, the ocean by the time you opened the pizza. Where you, yeah, you well, we no actually choice. started yeah. eating as we were setting sail down yeah. the river. You can't change your mind. And go can't change. The there's nothing else to get and there's no other food. So we ate it, you know. And, and as we hit the ocean, we actually realized, I mean, this sea was starting to get a bit rough. But the, the, the storm really hit around about 1 p.m. And that's actually, that the storm woke me up and my cabin mate because our boat was literally smashing into the waves. It was just lifting up in the bow. Bang, and that woke me up, and I went, whoa. And I said to my, my cabin mate, wow, we're in for a rough ride. And he started laughing, and I needed to go to the bathroom. And I climbed up this little ladder to go and was greeted by this big friend of mine who had smashed half this pizza, being violently ill into his toiletry bag. He'd just emptied because he was locked in a room. The door jammed, hmm. and another mate had bust the door open, and there he was. And I just said, I've got to get to the bathroom before him. And I just gapped it down the passage into the bathroom. So do you think you were seasick as well, or do you think you had food poisoning? Or both? Well, I definitely, we definitely know, because six of the nine of us ended up violently, violently ill. And interestingly, the three that weren't, weren't ill were the three that shared the first pizza that was actually looked fresh and had been made there and then, whereas the six of us that shared the other two were every single one of us was sick. Mm, Our okay. boat was carnage. I mean, there were guys being ill everywhere, in the bathrooms, up on the deck, being sick over the railing. And this is one in the morning? And so, well, this, by this stage, it's two o'clock. I've been on the toilet for an hour. I actually went out, outside to get some fresh air to find my mate, Hadn't even tried to make the, the bathroom. He just, he was lying at the back of the boat, water washing over him, just being ill into a, actually into a plastic <laughs> salad bowl. He'd grabbed a salad bowl on the way through and just was being so sick. I got him to the top deck because down there was the, the smell of diesel fumes, etc. And we got him up, him and I were sitting at the top and that's when Mark came to say, how are you guys doing? And then I went to the skipper's cabin and he told me we now had 14 hours or nine hours before we got to our destination. We were meant to be there at 4.30 a.m. in the water surfing by 5. I was like, what is going on here? Perhaps we should have put our foot down. But we, you know, you've got to realize we, the boat was just mayhem, mayhem. Six guys being so sick, sliding all over the place, falling around, hanging on to whatever you could. And it was, it was pure hell. That's all, the only way I can describe it. Pure hell. What happened next? I walked to the railing, just getting some fresh air in my face, pouring with rain. I got really cold. I put a T-shirt on. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I feel horrible, and I vomit. One horrible one, one second one, and one third one. And I remember the third time I vomited, I thought, I just got this pain up my spine into the back of my head. Hmm. And I thought, if I vomit like that again, I'm going to black out. And the next thing... I was in a dream. I was a kid. I was in a washing machine. I was being tumbled around. I thought, what a cool experience. 
Like, why do we do this as kids? Like, in a washing machine, tumbling around, all this foam. And then my dream morphed from me being in a washing machine to my friends flicking water on my face saying, wake up, Brett, we're there. Let's go surfing. And I remember shouting them, don't wet my bed. I've got no portholes. My linen's going to be all damp and wet for the rest of the trip. And I wiped the water from my eyes. And I looked up, and I was in the middle of the ocean. And my boat was 100 meters in front of me. Just I saw the lights burning. I saw Benoit lying there. I saw the little uh, guard who was meant to be on night duty, fast asleep. And you saw him drifting off into the distance. And I just saw them sail away until I couldn't see them anymore. I was screaming at them, going, hey, hey, hey. You're going to turn around. You're going to turn around. They get, the boat's going to turn around. Someone's seen you. And they just kept going until suddenly the lights disappeared and it was pitch black, bucketing with rain. And I was in the middle of the ocean and I knew they were not turning around. What were you wearing? A pair of shorts and a T-shirt. That was it. Nothing. No, no life-floating device. Nothing. And I... I, 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 I Still, four years later, I can tell you, I knew at that moment I was dead. I just didn't know how I was going to die or when. That was the only question in my mind. How, how do I die? And said all my goodbyes, apologized to my family. Just knew I was going to, how long would this last? How long does it take? Am I going to get eaten by a shark? I'm going to drown. I'm going to sink to the bottom. What's going to happen? What did that feel like? Horrific. There, is no, there are no words. The horror of that moment, there is no word to describe it. I just watched this boat sail away, pitch black, waves just pushing me under, swallowed and coughed and spluttered, trying to get my head up, and I was just like, how do I die? How long is this going to take? There must have been a part of you, though, that thought, they'll see I'm not on the boat, and they'll turn around and get me. I knew without a shadow of a doubt my friends would come back for me. And that was so, it was so quick. Started counting my pulse, 1,001, 1,002 times above 15, I mean, times above four to, to 1,015 times above four. All I remember, my pulse was over 170 beats a minute. I, I have no idea why I did this, but I went, that's adrenaline. The moment the adrenaline runs out, you're going to sink to the bottom. You have to calm down. In the sea, I'm just treading water. I close my eyes, start doing this meditation, breathing exercises in the sea. Waves are pushing me under. I'm not thinking about anything of that. I just It was incredible how quickly I got my heart rate down. Did that make a... Difference. And then made a massive difference because now I'm calm. I'm thinking, okay, I knew my boys would come back for me. Now, but how long is it going to take them to turn around? And how are they going to find you? So those two statements, of course, they sound mutually exclusive, but they aren't, are they? You can know that you're going to die and know that your friends are going to come back and get you. But, of course, by then you may be dead. Well, exactly. Will they be on time? And then I remember thinking, I remember straight away, I said, what, I, I actually asked, I'm talking to myself, I asked myself, what did that skipper say? He said, nine hours, nine hours, nine and a half hours, worst case scenario, work out a worst case scenario. So let's say it's 10 hours, they get there to the other side, they don't realize all the way through the night, they get to the other side, that'll be 10 o'clock in the morning, they'll turn around, they'll set sail straight back, they'll come at full speed, so it'll be less than half the time, so worst case scenario, 14 hours. How are you going to stay alive for 14 hours? And, you know, it's so, our minds, human being mind, is such an incredible machine. It, it was going at a million, it was like a computer. Brr, the one thing, plastic bags. The Indonesian sea is actually quite filthy. They throw everything in the water. 
we've seen a fridge before. We nearly hit a fridge on in our boat. I'm thinking, I've got to find a fridge because it floats. I can climb in mm. the fridge. It must have beer in it too. I mean, I've got a very macabre <laughs> sense of humor. It's got to be beer and I can drink beer and I'll wait and my guys will come back for me. I was convinced I'd find a plastic bag. What can I do? Blow it up, tie a knot in it, put it in my T-shirt. Flotation device. To be clear then, so you have to keep paddling your arms you and your legs. I'm swimming. I kicked... I just did a breaststroke. I pulled my arms, kicked my legs. I never did, I never swam to get anywhere. I just swam to keep my head above water, see a wave coming, take a breath and go under. Because at first I was just treading water. I couldn't see a wave coming from behind me. It would smash down on me, push me under. I'd cough, sput. I found myself swallowing so much water. And there is nothing worse than swallowing seawater after mouthful of seawater after mouthful of seawater. And there's so many more twists and turns to that story too, including an encounter with a shark. It's called Lost at Sea, and it's from The Modern Man, and its host, Ollie Mann, told me what he's looking for when he chooses his interview subject. I think there's a vulnerability, if I'm being perfectly honest, about my favourite guests. I mean, it's, it's a given that anyone who I'm interviewing either does an interesting job or has had an interesting life. Those are basically the two <laughs> the two areas that we explore. And I suppose, ideally, you have someone who does an interesting job because they've had an interesting life. And so an example of that might be Ben Ryan, who's this chap that I interviewed in Wales. His job is he works with 3D printing and CAD software. So straight away, tick, tick, you know, that's interesting. This is a really burgeoning industry that's going to change the world. But the reason he's in that job is because his own son was born following a series of complications with his birth with half an arm. He was amputated below the elbow. And so he had to innovate 3D printing so that he could print his own son an arm. So, like, straight away you have really on that Venn diagram of kind of interesting job and interesting life, you have the kind of optimum story for us. So that there's those guests. And then there are the people who, as I say, maybe on paper don't strike you as, as having had the most interesting life. There's a guy who I interviewed recently called Craig Jones, for example, who's an ex-soldier who's now a wildlife photographer. Interesting enough, but on paper you wouldn't necessarily think, well, fascinating. But there was a vulnerability with him. His mother had died when he was a child. He turned to nature because she'd brought him up going to the forest and learning from wild creatures when they didn't have a lot of money and they were living in a council estate in the Midlands. And he essentially now has devoted his life to honouring the way in which his mum brought him up and he credits everything that he's done, including being a sniper in Northern Ireland and the techniques he'd use in the army to a kinship with nature, navigating uh, birds and the avian world and stuff like that so for me it's it's either do they have an interesting job have they had an interesting life preferably both where one feeds into the other and are they just quite I mean I don't want to keep saying vulnerable because obviously some of the people I interview have come through extraordinary things and are now very strong people but what I mean is there's a chink in the armor there's something human that you can relate to so that even if you think I have no interest in this story I have no interest in this person and that's the nature of a magazine show. Sometimes you are delivered an episode where you think, well, that's not interesting. You will become interested because the, you're interested in the person. You're interested in reading between the lines. You're wondering what's happening inside their head. And what was the motivation for starting up The Modern Man? Was it the, the fact that there wasn't really anything like it? Was it the fact that you wanted to listen to that kind of show? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I've always just made the kind of show that I want to listen to. And exactly, I, I felt that... In Britain, there weren't independent shows that were doing ambitious 
one-off documentary subjects on a consistent basis, which is what you hear in the US, of course, all the time, you know, This American Life, Radio Lab, etc. But actually in the UK, the general rule for podcasts is it's it's either sort of two people bantering in a room or it's a very specialist subject, you know, whereas I wanted to do a general interest documentary subject. Some weeks we'd do it in a very storytelling style with music and we'd use different you know, actual kind of storytelling techniques that you'd use if you were making a radio documentary. Other weeks, we'd just do it as a straightforward one-on-one conversation or even just one person speaking directly to the listener, whatever suits the story the best. And so there was that. And then also, to be perfectly honest, there was a, a mission for me to try and broaden the way in which the public saw me. Um, because uh, people, if they knew who I was um, back in 2015, would either know me for doing uh, talk radio phone-ins where, you know, it was very much let's talk about immigration or let's talk about Islam or let's talk about prison, or they would know me for the podcast that I did with Helen Zaltzman, Answer Me This, which I'd been doing since 2007, which was a kind of student in remains, (laughs) a kind of student-y, sixth-form humour, really fun show, but a show in which serious subjects are treated with a pinch of salt and light subjects are taken seriously and that's the humour of it. I love making that show and it's really fun, but it's a reflection of who I was really when I was 25, not who I was when I was 35 when I started The Modern Man. And I I felt at 35 like, okay, I'm about to have a son, I'm about to get married, I've got a mortgage on my house. you know. And, And throughout that first year of the show, all those things did happen. My father died, I lost my job various things happened to me that actually meant that I just felt like kind of I'd grown up and I wanted to do a show where I could be serious about serious things and have fun as well. What do you enjoy about podcasting as a medium? Because you've obviously done it for a long time now. What What is it about podcasting? You, you know, you've worked on TV, you've worked in radio. What is it that that gives you that, that those other mediums perhaps can't? I just think it is literally the best medium. I, I, I mean, as you say, I've experimented in different forms. And as I kind of experimented with every different type of it, really, you know, and as a student, I did a bit of student journalism and student drama and student radio. The thing that I liked the most was radio because it was intimate, because you're in people's minds. We've all had that experience where you're driving the car and you're so compelled to what you're listening to on the radio that you suddenly realise you don't know where you're going or, you know, you you can't turn the engine off because you're in a car park or whatever it is. That's the intimacy and the brilliance of radio. And I just feel podcasting takes radio on a gear, really. And the two distinctions I'd say that there are, because obviously it's a very similar medium to radio, but the two distinctions I'd say that there are, are one, the audience has specific, all the audience have specifically chosen to be with you at that moment. And that's different to radio where there's an element of serendipity. You know, it's whatever happens to be on when you're in the kitchen. That doesn't happen with podcasts. People have chosen to spend their time with you out of all of the other potential content that's available in the world. That's an incredible privilege. And it means that they are already sold on you. You don't have to sell yourself to them. They already know that they want to listen to you. They're now trusting you to bring them something interesting and it's your job to deliver that. So that's exhilarating and exciting. And then the other thing is the literal physical intimacy of it. You know, I've already said radio is very intimate. Well, most podcast listeners listen on headphones. So you are literally in their head. You are appended to their ears. And I know from meeting uh, fans of the shows that I do and actually talking to other fans of other podcasts that I'm into that the connection people feel with podcasters, it's like the connection they have with radio hosts, but it's even more intense than that. It's, it's a re- you really feel like the people who like your show 
like you. And there's less pretense about podcasting than I think any other medium that has any traction. Um, even YouTube videos, because even then, you know, you really are trying to court a click in the first 10 seconds. None of that happens in podcasts. It's just very, very honest. And I feel I say this to my guests as well, many of whom have done other shows. You know, some of my guests, we try and find original guests, but inevitably a lot of them have written books or they've been on TV because they've had interesting lives. And when I'm pitching to them why they should come on my show and tell me their story, I say, well, this is the version that really is the truth. This is the no bullshit version. This is the version where you can just say how it was in detail. And we edit it down. We edit an hour-long conversation down to 35 minutes. But we don't edit it down to six minutes. We don't editorially steer it. This is it. This is actually how it was. You're talking directly to people who are interested. Ollie Mann of the Modern Man podcast, and you'll find more info about the Lost at Sea episode I played and where to listen to other episodes at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.